Welcome to Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith, of course, over a good pint. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar is a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education. Kelsey, did we talk about the education? I think we should talk about that tonight. Sure. With, uh, with 25 locations, and we have Kelsey with us tonight, if you can't tell, with 25 locations in 11 states across the country. Um, visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you, and keep listening all this month for an opportunity to win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar. We'll announce the winner for April at the end of the show tonight. Oh, it's still teaser. me, right? A teaser. No, I think the next part you know, Okay. You're on a roll. You can, so we're going to announce April's winner tonight, and you can, beginning tonight, be in the running for May's free beer by commenting either on Twitter or Facebook. You can follow us at Pub Theology and use hashtag PT Live on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can comment at facebook.com slash pub theology. So please chime in uh, with your, uh, with your thoughtful comments, uh, and your witty comments, and I think, uh, Something witty or deep will put you in the running for some free beer from Craft Beer Cellar. But I do have to say, Brian, the last two months, it, they've been funny comments. Just just saying. Yeah, so. we're starting a trend. We funny, started, funny this people. is a, a, another teaser, but it might be a funny comment that won April's free beer. Maybe funny and witty. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's some theology under that humor. Or, yes. Yeah, deep and funny. Exactly. Well, friends, you can watch us live uh, Tuesdays, 9 o'clock Eastern Time at PubTheology.com, and you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Tonight, we discuss what our idea of fun is, and we ask, what is the spiritual or moral value of fun? Does fun have some theological weight? We'll also say what can uh, we'll ask what can churches do to become safe spaces for open conversation, for dialogue, for asking questions. We'll ask whether we've experienced that in a church community, and we'll also ask: Is God like Jesus? Can we look at the Jesus we read about uh, in the scriptures and think, you know, that's a pretty good picture of what God is like? And depending on time, we'll discuss the uh, recent uh, passing of Father Daniel Berrigan, a war resistor, an outspoken prophet uh, against American empire. And we'll ask, is it okay for religious figures to be politically active? Well, my name's Brian Burkoff. I'm a pastor and writer in Holland, Michigan. And we're joined, as always, by Tina Simmons. And tonight we have guest Kelsey Roth, director of Buzz at Craft Beer Cellar. So welcome, Tina and Kelsey. Hello. Thank you. Tina, why don't you tell us what you're drinking and then uh, where you're joining us from, and then Kelsey. Um, so I am currently in Richmond, Virginia, well, the Richmond, Virginia area. And hold on a second, I didn't silence my phone before we started here. And I'm drinking a new Belgium Citradelic. It's a tangerine IPA, and it is very tasty. I happen to like the citrus um, citrus beers, so this is my kind of beer. It's a tasty one. Tasty one. Kelsey, welcome. What are you drinking tonight? Thank you. Uh, well, I live in Malden, Massachusetts, and which is just north of Boston. And tonight I'm drinking, uh, I got the beer here, the bottle here. This is... Uh, 
Trakir's Jacobite Ale. This is a beer from Scotland, uh, brewed in the uh, the oldest standing house in Scotland. Uh, this is a recreation of an ancient Scottish ale that's aged in oak barrels and brewed with coriander. Wow, you're bringing bringing the ball game tonight, the A game. Well yeah, done. This is this is one I haven't seen on in distribution for a while, so when I saw it, I grabbed it. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> that's kind of a, a weird, funky beer, but it's just so, kind of just like a nice, dark ale. Kelsey, before we move on to the questions, um, did he... Okay. Before we move on to the questions, what, what, how do... And did we talk about this before? Did I miss it? How, do you, how does um, Beercraft Cellars Cellar um, educate people? So, you know, we... Uh, we do a number of programs, but education is uh, not only just uh, part of our outreach, but it's also part of what we demand of ourselves. So, um, you know, we feel that there's you know, what's going to separate us apart from the other you know, kind of retail beer stores is you know when you know we're not necessarily going to carry products that other stores can't carry. We're not necessarily going to you know be more nice and hospitable or provide better customer service, uh, even though we try. But what's going to separate us apart is our level of education and then being able to educate the customers. So, uh, for example, I am a certified Cicerone, which is kind of like a, a sommelier for beer. And we require that everyone who works for us to at least be a level one in the Cicerone program, which is the certified beer server level. And uh, that's a like a 30-minute exam that you that you could take online. It's 60 questions that covers you know, all different topics about beer and food and beer pairing and service and things like that. Uh, the certified Cicerone level is an in-person exam that I took. That's a three-hour written exam and one-hour tasting exam. Whoa! And yeah, then they go up to. Brian's uh, like, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> now there's advanced, and now there, and then there's a master cicerone, which uh, uh, our one of our co-founders just took in Chicago, and that's a two-day, ten-hour-a-day exam uh, wow. that that you have to take. But um, on the outreach side, we uh, encourage people. We do classes, we do beer dinners, um, we do like free blind tasting sessions uh, at our stores, and we do whatever we can to not only just kind of promote better beer knowledge about what's a good beer, what's uh, you know not a good beer, and how to tell that apart, and things like uh, identifying fresh beer, um, you know, and just like what beer should taste like are all important things when uh, trying to educate the consumer about better beer. Uh, you know, we see a lot of stores where beer is just kind of a section of the store and they don't really care about it too much. And we see, you know, old beer on the shelf or, you know, it's not taken care of very well. It's not rotated well. And, uh, and if a customer goes in there and tries one of those beers for the first time and gets a bad experience, then, you know, it doesn't serve anybody well. So no doubt. Uh, so the more we feel the customer knows about beer, the better you know, the whole industry is going to be. So, Yeah, it's, and part of that research was figuring out that the beer you're drinking now is, was brewed in the oldest standing house in Scotland. Did I hear that right? Yeah, well, it says it on the label. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they, did the, they did the homework. Education research. <laughs> I'm like, how can they figure out in a European nation which is the oldest standing house? That's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, located within Scotland's oldest it, oh, oldest inhabited house. Oh. Uh, well, still difficult. Yeah. Nice. Well, tonight I'm drinking a uh, backyard session IPA from uh, Saugatuck Brewing uh, down the road from me uh, here in Michigan, and that's uh, yeah, nice light uh, summery IPA. It's good. Is that your your backyard ale in honor of uh, mowing the lawn today? <laughs> exactly right. The lawn was mowed, and I earned a backyard IPA. The kids got some lemonade. <laughs> So tonight we want to ask uh, both of you and myself, what, what's your idea of fun? Like when you think fun, like I want to do something fun, what do, you, what do you think of? Like what would you do if you could just do something fun? Go ahead, Kelsey. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, it's a tougher question than it sounds. I know, you know. It does, right? Like let's go have fun. Um, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but fun can be, you know, just watching a good show on TV. Uh, but I right. guess, like, in a general term, fun is something that brings you joy. So, uh, you know, whether it is just watching a good movie on the, sitting on your couch or, you know, cooking something you've never cooked before, you know, I, I find that enjoyable. Um, you know, or just, you know, even uh, uh, we went to this thing called Bodeborg last weekend. So I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a, it's a Swedish... Hmm. Uh, it's a Swedish business that basically it's like uh, playing a live video game where you go into, uh, you have teams and you go into these rooms and the rooms have challenges and you have to complete the challenge. Oh, um, I like this. And some of them are like physical where you have to like climb things. and uh, But it's every room is a puzzle and you have to figure out what the puzzle is. And we were there for like two hours and we're, and our time ran out, and we're like, oh, my God, we can just keep going and doing this. Uh, but, yeah, so it's sometimes just doing something challenging and different and, uh, you know, something we've never done before. That's so cool. And, and you know what? I have to agree with you, Kelsey, because that's the first thing I thought of is, like, I'm an adventure girl. Like, to me, um, fun is is going somewhere I've never been or, you know, doing something I've never done before or, you know, but on the other hand, it could be just sitting around with a bunch of people having really awesome conversations, you know. So it does. It, it's a wide variety of, of what you can consider fun and um, kind of goes with what mood I'm in as well. <laughs> because fun for me could be sitting on my back deck reading a book too. Like that's just how I am or painting or something. But yeah. in the mood I'm in right now, it's more of the let's go do something I've never done before. So Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, for me, uh, fun is not mowing the lawn. Uh, <laughs> though occasionally there can be spiritual value to it because it can be kind of a time alone and I usually listen to music and, you know, but... Wait, Brian, I know your kids are still young, but remember Huck Finn. Make the, the mowing the lawn look so fun that your kids want to do it for you. You know what? Actually, I did have them fighting to take turns tonight, which was a win. Cause I, but I did have to, I had to lure them. I didn't make it look fun, but I did say if you help me mow this lawn, I will buy you a milkshake. And then, yes. Well, you know. I offer him 10 bucks. I offer him 10 bucks, I offer him 10 bucks and they're not interested. And I offer him a milkshake and they're like, oh, yes! Oh, that'll change when they're teenagers, trust me. So that works for me, because it's better on the pocketbook. 
So mowing the lawn's not fun, but what is fun? Yeah, well, um, I'm a big baseball fan. It's baseball season. Uh, one of my kids is playing baseball. I love just playing catch in the backyard, throwing batting practice to all the kiddos love to do batting practice in the backyard. I mean, you know, on a nice spring or summer day, just getting that uh, getting that ball, throwing it around. It's just, it's uh, that's fun. And I would also say I kind of like just hanging out, you know. So if I could have some friends over and, you know, we're barbecuing in the backyard and we're doing some yard games, drinking some beers, just, you know, just hanging out, having a fire, whatever. Um, it doesn't take a lot, you know, but that to me is just, that's fun, you know, building relationships, hanging out, enjoying life. You know what, you know what I love to do and I haven't done in a long time, and I, I don't know why I thought of it when you were saying that, but um, I love playing board games and card games. Hmm. Like getting a group of people together and just and I, I I know I'm such a nerd that I feel that way but I just I just love that I think it's so fun but never. My laptop is sitting on top of my stack of Dungeons and Dragons books. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. I do every Monday. <laughs> there awesome. you go. There you go. Well done. <laughs> I I do love a good uh, board game as well. So I I hear you there. Uh, so. So Kelsey noted that fun is that which brings you joy, which is a good segue to the question, does the idea of fun, does that have any spiritual or moral value? Um, and I think if we connect it to joy, we'd say there, there might be. But in my experience in the church, we didn't necessarily talk about fun very much, right? There's not a fruit of the spirit that's fun. <laughs> so what do, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, I I think there, I think it depends on the definition of fun. You know, I think there's, you know, uh, there may be a little bit of, at least in the church environment, a, a, a stigma that fun could be something that, uh, you know, may not be completely wholesome, uh, you know, a wholesome activity. But uh, I think at the essence. I think it really is joy. It's uh, it's something that uh, lightens the spirit, something that uh, makes you appreciate life and other people and the things you know that you know. It's it's taking time out of the all those things that don't bring you joy to enjoy the things that is good that are good about life. Mm. And I don't I I brought him up before. <laughs> in a completely negative context. So I'm going to redeem myself here and say, um, they say King David was the man that was after God's own heart, and he was all about enjoying life. You know, he was all about celebrating and and just, you know, living in joy. So, and if he was at, you know, he was, he was God's favorite, God must want us to enjoy life, you know? Yeah, there's stories of him uh, dancing, uh, dancing before the Lord, and uh, he wasn't afraid to let it out there. You know, he he didn't hold back. Hey, do you remember the movie Footloose? I'm pretty sure that that, he, that that's one of the um, that's one of the verses that Ren quoted in the end to convince them to let him have a dance. Come oh, on, guys, you're my age. Yeah. You have to remember yeah. this. I, well, <laughs> listen, it's been a it's while. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a while. 
But yeah, I think I think as far as religion goes, I I think there are stricter religions that frown upon it because fun has um, has an element of letting loose and um, like Kelsey said, like um, could get a little crazy. But um, if you take out that control aspect, fun fun is just enjoying life. Yeah, and sometimes I think you know people uh, who we tend to admire and look up to, like historically, like let's say a, a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King Jr. or you know Cesar Chavez or somebody like this, we might think, well, they they worked so hard and they held these these values for humanity and and you know I don't think of them and I and think of fun, right? I think of like a serious commitment to life and to justice and so forth. But I found it interesting that I was listening to um, a show covering uh, Father Daniel Berrigan, this uh, Jesuit priest who died over the weekend. And I mean, this guy protested at the Pentagon. He preached sermons uh, against the Vietnam War. He broke into draft offices and burned other people's draft cards. Wow. And he did it with homemade napalm. So I mean, this is a serious guy. But then they were also sharing that he was a guy who loved ice cream, and you know he had he had this uh, connection to Ben and Jerry's, and they even named an ice cream after him. And he always had ice cream in the fridge, and and that he loved just you know hanging out with friends, having a good whiskey, and talking about the stuff of life. And he often laughed and had a smile, you know. So I, I mean, I liked hearing that because sometimes I feel like I feel guilty if I'm having fun or if I make fun of you know, a, a value of a weight above some other things. Uh, and I think there has to be balance. But I was I was refreshed to see that you can have a serious commitment to, you know, whatever it is, uh, justice, serious stuff, uh, faith, and so forth, and you can still have joy, fun, and be lighthearted. But, Brian, don't you think all the people that you mentioned had – joy in their life and, and did fun things, but it was in their private life. Like, you're talking about the public figures and the things, the amazing things they did, did and in all honesty, it was probably 10 to 20 percent of their time. You know, it's, 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 it was in the public, you know, it was like, you know, it was highlighted, so it seems like that's all they did, because that's all we hear about. That's that's all the, you know. That's the stuff that made it an impact on everyone. But in their own private time, I'm sure that they all enjoyed life and and had hobbies and friends. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a good point that uh, you know what what impacts sort of the historical narrative is what makes the textbooks. Not that time that Martin Luther King Jr. you know burned the burgers on the grill and and won <laughs> won that close game of horseshoes. You know that doesn't quite right? make that. <laughs> That doesn't quite make the... Uh, that's what his friends remember, you know? Textbooks, exactly. No, that's a good point. And that's why I like hearing personal stories of people who are connected to some of these historical figures because it gives you some of that insight into their personal lives. Uh, I think there's also, uh, you know, at least in Christianity, there's a long history of uh, kind of the... Uh, I don't know necessarily the, the... I don't know what the word is, but, you know, kind of the... You know, we need to be penitent. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. And um, you know, uh, there's this certain level of reserve, and you know, yes. a bit kind of 
punishment. Uh, self. You need to be somber. Yeah, somber. Uh, you know, I mean, you go back to like the Middle Ages, and you know, it's very strong at those times. But uh, you know, even in the 1800s, you know, uh, you know, like having to be covered up and wearing straight clothes and all these things. You know, I think there's just this long history that uh, in order to be a good Christian, you know, we have to uh, temper our fun and temper our emotions, and you know, not. Uh, not be wild and crazy and do do things because that's you know when Satan comes in or something. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think there you know as Christians there's always been that sort of level of fun might be bad, but uh, I think if you really look at uh, scripture and the interpretations, it's it's about life and about enjoying life and you know I, th- I and I think you know there's there's lots of dancing in the Bible. There's lots of, uh, you know, drinking of wine and feasting and and all these things. And you know, I'm sure they were having lots of laughs at the Last Supper too. At some point, you know, the, it looked like in the painting it looked like they were having fun. Wouldn't um, it be awesome if we had, a, you know, some of that verbatim? Uh, yeah, it'd be a fly on yeah, the right? wall. Yeah, right. The jokes they were telling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's what I was just wondering. You know. Um, because you know you more you know more about this than I do, Brian. But in the life of Jesus, like Christianity became so somber, like you said in the Middle Ages. But Jesus wasn't always like that. Like, didn't he enjoy himself? Didn't he, you know, hang out with his friends and and enjoy the company of other people and you know just live life? I don't know. Tell me some stories. Well, it's a good point. Uh, you know, he he notes that he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, or being a friend of sinners. You know, so he certainly spent time with people who enjoyed life and and um, ate and drank and so forth. Uh, of course, we we have the famous scripture that says Jesus wept, and we don't have a corollary which says Jesus laughed. But you have to believe that that happened uh, often. Well, again, it's that public figure. You know, you hone in on just what, you know, what they did in the public eye. And frankly, I don't think I want to imagine a Jesus that didn't have fun. Yeah. Exactly right. That's well said. That's well said. Well, on uh, Facebook, uh, Nancy has chimed into this conversation. She says, for me, fun is when I laugh so hard I can't catch my breath. Yes, I agree. Good, huh? Good. Uncontrollable laughter and lots of it. That's fun. Yes. <laughs> I agree, Nancy. And then she says, uh, a milder sort of fun is watching my adult children raising their own children and hearing them compliment us on our parenting skills, which to our amusement we did not know we had. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and and then she cl- she's got a lot of richness here. And then she closed by saying, it is also fun to be contented with life God is good. I like it. Thanks, Nancy. Mm-hmm. It's all about life, enjoying life and living life. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so our next topic uh, asks, what can churches do to become safe spaces for open conversation, for dialogue, for questioning, for doing the kind of thing we do on this show? Um, so what can they do to you know, cultivate those conversations? And then a follow-up question is, have you ever experienced that in a church setting? Uh, 
Uh, I can go first, I guess. <laughs> um, Fire away. You know, I, I would say support things like pub theology. You know, I think this sort of thing, uh, whether it's this exact thing or not, is you know is incredibly conducive to open conversation and providing a uh, you know a criticism free zone, so to speak, you know, where people are feel that they're free to to speak their mind and that they won't be judged for it or ostracized or you know uh, you know or, or criticized in a bad way for, for you know having an opinion that may be slightly outside of what uh, you know the doctrine says or what the church necessarily believes in um, and but I think sometimes too just taking it out of church and doing something where it's a just in another environment uh, where people feel that they have to they can be less formal and you know, can uh, be a little bit more open about ideas and things like that. Um, and I did experience this in growing up, because I, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, if uh, you remember last month's episode. <laughs> but, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, I spoke a little bit about it then, that my uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church in Illinois where I grew up was fairly conservative, and uh, there are a lot of kind of doctrine that, uh, people were clinging on to that uh, there was a certain faction of the church that my father and mother were a part of that just felt that these ideas were outdated and didn't really apply to uh, you know modern society things just like uh, you know I played the drums and I could was never allowed to play the drums in church right. uh, you know just things like that uh, dancing was frowned upon um, you know owning, uh, wearing jewelry, things like that, that, you know, oh. really, uh, you know, didn't, you know, didn't really, they had a point back in the 1800s when Seventh-day Adventism you know, came about, but, you know, not so much uh, in the 1980s and 90s. So uh, my father and a group started a kind of an offshoot church, and they still, you know, had traditional service and things like that, but they created a... Uh, a separate kind of uh, like, uh, like a little age-based groups, and then you go for the main sermon, you know, for the second half of the church service, and so the you know like little kids go to their little cl Bible classes and things like that, and so they started a group that was really about open conversation, talking about uh, policies in the church and talking about, you know, what does it really mean to be Christian? What does it really mean to love God? And uh, what does it mean to be a good Christian? And uh, and uh, for me, it was really enlightening, uh, you know, especially I was a young teenager at that time, and I think it was really influential in making me look, you know, I was kind of, I think as most kids might be at that age, I was, you know, kind of down on the church. It was boring. I had to wear a stuffy suit in the summer and didn't like it, and, you know, uh, and it, this opened my eyes and my ears and my mind to the fact that you know people do have these questions and there is probably more to it than than uh, meets the eye. And so I you know I, I'm all for whatever people can do to open conversation and to be uh, inclusive to all ideas, whether they agree with them or not. Excellent, excellent uh, reminder to our listeners. You're listening to Pub Theology Live. Uh, I'm Brian Burkoff, and we've got Tina Simmons 
and Kelsey Roth with, with us, and we're talking what, about what can churches do to become safe spaces for open conversation. Um, and Tina, I'm wondering, have you uh, experienced that in a church setting, or do you have any friends who maybe have had good or bad experiences along these lines? Um, I actually have, but you know, it's funny because the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is, it it really what really matters in my eyes is the per person standing um, in front of the pulpit or behind the pulpit or whatever, um, because if 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 your minister is speaking from a place of knowing everything, it turns into more of a lecture environment and you're not allowed to question and you're not allowed to to you know you know talk or speak your mind or whatever but if if the minister themselves come from a place of a question then it opens it up for you to be able to come from a place of a question so in in my experience um yeah I, I did I had a church like that and I absolutely loved it um I was living in Pennsylvania and it was my first experience with a unity church it was unity of Lehigh Valley and when I first walked in there, the thing that caught me was that they had a picture of Jesus, but he was laughing. And that was the first time I'd walked into a church, and it wasn't Jesus on a cross. It was Jesus laughing. And I was like, it just opened something up in me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I actually ended up working there for a while um, as the office um, manager. And it was a great experience for me. And, you know... I, the minister and I didn't always agree, but yeah. I was always allowed to speak my mind. I was always allowed to ask the questions, and you know, and I, I it was great, and I, I miss it, you know. Yeah, what kind of church was that again? Unity. It was a Unity church. It was a Unity church. Yeah, that's how I ended I, up. Being I was hoping it was UCC, but you know, close. Sorry, no. <laughs> so close. So no, you close. know what, Brian? I'll be honest. I left the UCC church because my boys were. Um, I had two, my two, two boys were like toddlers, kind of toddlers at the same age, and um, the younger one was just a handful. I mean, he yeah. was just a powerhouse, and they did not appreciate his energy. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, yes, uh, churches often feel that way about mine, but when I'm preaching, they kind of have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a choice. <laughs> That's a, and that's another thing. The way churches treat children means a really a lot to me. Hmm. But yeah, yeah. How about you, Brian? Have you felt that way? Yeah, as far as you know, churches being welcoming spaces um, for this. You know, I I think growing up, this whole idea didn't even occur to me. Like it didn't wasn't a value or wasn't something I thought we should do because you know, in the tradition I grew up in, like many other traditions, it's kind of like well, we've got stuff kind of figured out already and you know our job is to teach you the truths of the Bible and your job is to learn them and spit them back and onward you know there was not a goal of sort of wrestling or asking questions or turning it upside down and inside out um, and so I didn't really experience that too much um, growing up and I think you know if you ask certain questions of uh, Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders or, or pastors or whatever, um, often it was kind of like, well, just have faith or just yeah. trust God or, or remember the Bible says, but really often not a real willingness to engage the depth of the question you have. Um, and now since I've been a pastor and I've been, you know, um, leading a few churches in those spaces, I've 
felt that safe space, but it helps when you have a part of the leadership and you can sort of try to set that into the culture. Um, and so I think, uh, and that's been valuable for me and even as a pastor to be able to be uh, a fellow person on a journey who has questions, you know. Not everybody feels comfortable having a pastor who has questions, uh, but I think if we're honest, uh, we, we're human beings, and if we don't have questions, <laughs> there might be something wrong there. Um, so I think it ought to be a value for us, um, for clergy, to have questions and to uh, be honest about them, but I get that not everybody's comfortable with that. And something, at, in, well, this is not necessarily it, you know, within a single church, but something I found very valuable, too, was going to other churches and, uh, you yes. know, going to, uh, you know, participating in, uh, you know, a Jewish ceremony, participating in, you know, a Catholic, a traditional Catholic ceremony, or even, uh, you know, a Russian Orthodox ceremony, or, uh, you know, and just kind of seeing how other people worship and, uh you know, and I think the more we look at all of these, you know, and experience them for ourselves, I think we realize in some ways how much we're all the same. Boom. Yeah. Or we have awesome. a lot of similarities. That and um and it's funny because when you say that I want to put it on a, a societal level as well. Um you also realize that your way's not the only way. You know, like I feel like people that grow up in a small town and never leave that small town are so convicted that the you know everything they believe is exactly as it should be and the people that like kind of traveled around a little bit and have seen other ways to live are like it's okay that people live differently than I do you know what I mean like and I feel like that way with churches like if, if you've only ever gone to one kind of church your entire life you are so convicted that this is the right Bible to read this is the only Bible that won't send you to hell you know this is the only way to live that won't send you to hell but if if you explore other churches even in the Christian religion you're like no nah, maybe there is a little more play there yeah you know, and like we you know growing up Seventh-day Adventist too we you know even other Christian religions were like, you know, oh, those Lutherans, they smoke cigarettes. You know, it's, uh, right? you know, uh, right? they're not going to happen. <laughs> yes. Uh, or, you know, I've seen them drink wine, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So, those Episcopalians uh, and their bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think you, you know, just like travel, you know, traveling to other countries uh, broadens the mind and broadens the experience. I think, you know, for, on a spiritual level, experiencing other forms of worship, I think, are are, you know, as important that way too. Yeah, I think I think you guys are right on. And uh, there was a church father who said something along those lines. Saint Augustine said, "The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only a page." It's very true. And I think wow, uh, you all, just pulled that up here. Pulled that up, hey. Just, <laughs> That's you know, pretty good, Brian. You gotta have quotes ready to go, you know. <laughs> well, you got you guys were talking about travel, and I just thought, oh, I think there's something pretty good on Saint Augustine, uh, and uh, there is, uh, and I think, and I like to, I like hearing that from like one of these old church fathers who we might think of right as stodgy, or they only had their view, or whatever. And here we have, you know. Saint Augustine, who's speaking like in the three to four hundreds, is saying, "Hey, if you don't get out of the house and go somewhere new, you know, you're going to be missing an awful lot." And I think that just that has held up over time. 
Yeah. You know, For Brian, sure. I want to know, how did we miss having Kelsey on last week when we were talking about Prince and we needed, <laughs> remember, we, were, we needed a seven-day Adventist to understand, you know, what their, Ooh. remember? Yes, we were. I was yeah. like, how did we not do this research beforehand? And we had <laughs> Kelsey the whole time. <laughs> wow. True. Yeah, we were, we were talking about Prince growing up uh, Seventh-day Adventist and then converting later to uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, mm -hmm. And just that the, that both of those seemed at odds with the uh, persona and uh, performer that he was. Uh, and so we had we had some fun conversation on that. Yeah, and I, I think in some ways, you know, uh, the more kind of... Uh, kind of conservative and protected you are when you're growing up, you know, and, you know, the more when you're finally on your own, you just kind of rebel and you go crazy. And <laughs> so I think there's there's some of that when, you know, it's like growing up so conservative, you know, it's like uh, my college year. And, you know, I think part of that is because I grew up very conservatively and, you know, my wife, on the other hand, would grew up very liberally and had yeah. very tame college years in comparison. So um, that often happens. So I don't know. I, I don't know though, and because I'm sitting here thinking, because you you could have two kids from the same family grow up. So there there's got to be something in your mind that makes you wonder because you'd have two kids in the fa same family, both you know growing up very conservative. One of them completely buys into it. Um, we'll, we'll call them the rules person, completely buys into it, and the other one is questioning everything and can't wait to get out and be free and find other ways to live. So, like, you know, what what what's that all about? And I'm saying that from experience because my sister and I were like that. Like, she's very rules-driven. I'm very relationship-driven, and I used to drive her crazy. She yelled at me one time after Sunday school because I just kept asking questions because they could not answer my questions in a, in a way that made any kind of sense to me. And we ended up being in Sunday school class like 15 minutes after we were supposed to be released. And she's like, will you just stop asking questions? And I'm like, I can't. You know, like it's got to make sense and it doesn't make sense. But, yeah. you know, we grew up side by side and one of us bought it and the other didn't. Left so right, I see what right, you're right, saying. Right. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of that, you know. It's like, uh, you know, what which, which wages? Yeah, I know this is a little bit off topic, but you know, kind of which you know which way do you, does your mind kind of work? And are you, you know, I think people who are you know kind of more, and I always forget the which is the more creative side and one right, that's right. more like the the kind of, okay and more is like the analytical side. Um, you know, and I think those those kind of help define your personality. So, uh, somebody who may be a little bit more right brain oriented would be a little bit more rebellious against uh, you know, kind of rules and structure and authority and things like that. I can't yeah. relate to that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think you bring up a great point uh, when you mention authority because I think that's um, really key because I think many of us who grew up in more um, conservative religious traditions, sort of uh, maybe doctrinally heavy, and certainly with you know strict moral codes. Um, those things were drummed into you by people who were in authority. You know, uh, parents, of course, but pastors, Sunday school teachers. If you went to a private school, 
you know, your school teachers, um, other adults that, you know, were in your world. And so when you keep hearing the same thing uh, from people, like don't ask these questions or don't act this way, um, it takes it takes something to, to step away from that. And, and so I think it was really cool, Kelsey, that you experienced, uh, even growing up in the tradition you did, something that created a space where a little bit of dialogue was a value and I think that you know as you noted that that's had an impact on you that that continues to be a value and I think we do our kids and our parishioners a disservice if we don't create that kind of space for people. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we mentioned uh, you know doing something like this, uh, having, you know, a conversation gathering. I know um, there's an increasing number of people who are doing pub theology. Some are church-connected, some are not. Um, what other kinds of things could people do to sort of create a space for allowing questions and dialogue? You know, <laughs> you know what, and this is going to sound funny, but the one thing that I thought was really cool, um, I don't know if you guys saw on Ogan's page, but a few weeks ago, I don't even know what they were doing. They did some kind of auction or something to raise money for the church, but he ran into the ocean. And you know how cold it is up there, yeah. <laughs> Kelsey? <laughs> he ran into the ocean for his congregation. Like, like I like the fact, and please don't tell Ogan I gave him a compliment, <laughs> I love the fact that he does stuff like that with his parishioners because it makes him seem more human. And I think that's what ministers need to do is, is um, I understand that you can't, you know, vomit your life, <laughs> you know, at the pulpit. But, right. but I think it is good for everybody to see that you are human and um, you do have fun and you do make mistakes. And, you know, just I, I think that's that if, if ministers open up that kind of space – that um, it would help everybody else feel like they're allowed to be human. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, th and I think, um, you know, the relationship that I had with my pastor and also my youth pastor um, were, at that time, I think were critical because I got to know them outside of church. And, yep. and I think that was really important where, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to understand that they're human too. And they like to do things that I like to do as well. And that, and I think just creating those moments where guard is let down and, you know, people feel at ease uh, can open, you know, areas of conversation that people will be able to, to ask tough questions and, you know, uh, you know, just kind of be able to create that good environment. Yeah, that, that's excellent. And uh, I think... Um... I think it's a two-way street a little bit, uh, Tina. I think I agree with you that pastors need to come across as more human and open themselves up and do some fun things and be a regular person. And I also think congregations need to be open to them doing that because some people are threatened by, you know, uh, pastors actually being real people. Yeah. That's like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Pastor Brian drinks beer. Yeah. Exactly, exactly <laughs> right. You're damn right, and he swears. <laughs> I have to tell you, and I, I'm, I probably shouldn't call her out on this, but the first time I heard, because I worked at the church, so I got to hear a lot of things that um, 
other people didn't get to hear. And the first time I heard, I heard um, my minister curse. I was so taken aback, and I was like, "What? Well, that was my upbringing, though, you know." Yeah. And then, and then she she just became a real person to me, you know. It was it was yes. kind of cool. I can't tell you how many times uh, when I've shared after I'm getting to know somebody that I'm a pastor, they'll be like, "Oh, sorry, did I offend you?" Because they they will have sworn not knowing. You know, they were swearing earlier, didn't know I was a pastor, and suddenly they're like reviewing, what did I say, and was that okay? And I'm just like, well, what am I, some kind of, you know, weirdo that you can't swear around or whatever? But people just have this idea of, you know, a clergy person as some different class of person. Right. That's why you have to do it first, so it makes them feel comfortable. <laughs> exactly. Well, you have to be better than us. That's, that's yeah, and I mean... There is something to that. I get it, right? That you, you know, you're a spiritual leader, and so you know, you do want to be an example at a certain level. Of course, uh, it just can get out of whack when it's unrealistic or you're put on some fake pedestal that no person can live up to. Yeah. All right. So um, we've got a quote here from a Quaker scholar. Elton Trueblood, who said the historic Christian doctrine of the divinity of Christ does not simply mean that Jesus is like God. It is far more radical than that. It means that God is like Jesus. Which seems very simple on the surface, or what does that even mean? But, uh, Kelsey, what's your response to that? Well, I'm not sure I understand what it means. Okay, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let me let me play this out. So... We think of, in the Christian tradition, Jesus as being divine, uh, part of the Trinity, and all of that. Um, we'll read the, you know, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we'll see certain, you know, we'll read stories of violence, you know, God destroying the world in a flood, or you know, commanding Joshua to wipe out the Canaanites and kill everything that breathes, and then we'll think, well, that's God the Father, but Jesus is this way. Uh, but if we think that God and Jesus are the same, and not only is Jesus like God, God must then be like Jesus, that creates tension when we read explicit accounts of God acting in very non-Jesus ways. Does Which that make really sense? really funny when you say it that way, Brian, because, yeah, God... God portrays violence, and then Jesus doesn't, and God's supposed to be the Father. But they're supposed to be, like, the same, you know? Well, like, like God is, like, the, the authoritative dad, and then Jesus is more of, like, the uh, kind of cool uncle, you know, that you kind of hang out with, you know? Uh, he'll, he's the nice. one who will, you know, like, you know, buy you beer when you're 14, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Exactly. Like that. <laughs> He's the uncle that'll turn your water into wine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when you're low on loaves and fishes, you know, he'll make some more. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, I, I understand. So it's kind of like a little uh, bit like we understand God as kind of like Old Testament, you know, um, and they don't really speak about God in that sense in, in as much of a personified way in the New Testament. Um, and that we... Uh, so I'm just trying to kind of grok what, what, what you're saying. So it's uh, a little bit more we have to understand that God is a little bit more human than we normally make him out to be. Yeah, well, uh, and is God, is God 
the kind of person uh, or the kind of being, I should say, uh, who values peace and not violence and who forgives 70 times 7, um, that kind of thing. Okay. Which, you know, we don't always get that message in certain parts of the Bible um, or in certain views of God. And so I think uh, I think it's provocative to think about, wow, yeah, if God is like Jesus, that's pretty cool. Uh, but is that too good to be true? But I think I think the um, like the unity and the New Age um, Christianities, he God is more like Jesus. I think it's more of the like you said the Old Testament old school God that is per personifies the uh, the negative parts of human, you know, the, the rage, the jealousy, the anger. There's, I think we're talking about two different gods when, when you, you know, I, I know what you're saying in the quote, but um, there are a lot of people that, that do think of God as a Jesus personality, that it's all love and all peace and all openness and, you know, we are all one kind of thing. Well, and, and, and I guess it's... Uh, there's also the belief, you know, they are the same as well. Um, that God and Jesus are are essentially the same, and you know, in the Holy Trinity, um, and that they're kind of a little more difficult to separate in that sense. But um, you know, I, I've I guess uh, I guess this was never a topic that I struggled with. I never feared God, um, yeah. you know, or felt that. I, you know, that I was going to be punished by God, but, you know, Jesus was cool, you know. Um, <laughs> that, so, um, Hide me, yeah. Jesus, God is coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know, I, I guess it was just never something that I really struggled with. Um, so, I guess that's why I didn't quite really understand what the quote was. But. Well, sorry, God, Jesus let me stay up late. I, I, yeah. you know, <laughs> I didn't mean it. We're playing PlayStation. Got late, <laughs> and so yeah, and so for me, it, it conjures up like, can I, as a Christian, um, speak out against violence uh, or, um, yeah, things of that nature, and and do it, imagining that I'm representing what God desires or what God is like. That God is not inherently violent, and that God is peace-loving, and that God is, um, yeah, more like Jesus. Um, and I think sometimes we kind of separate those things. It's like, well, I don't know, it's all in the Bible, and God can do what he wants uh, kind of thing. But it's, you know, but some of those things are at odds with Jesus saying, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, and those who live by the sword die by the sword. I think, too, um, it was, you know, at least according to Scripture, um, it was never the role of educator or teacher was never placed upon God, but it was on Jesus. So Jesus was the one who did have to tell us, you know, this is, you know, Jesus plotted out a way to live. Uh, God never, uh, you know, at least what we've read, uh, God had, never was really put into that position. He was more put into the the role of you know, kind of the authoritative figure. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, it's a fair point. Uh, you know, he did he did write the uh, 
the uh, Ten Commandments with his finger in stone. So there was a little bit of something happening there, but uh, <laughs> not not quite the same. So that's a, that's definitely definitely a fair point. But you know what? I have to tell that. you that the, the the thing I liked that I heard, the, um, and this is so blasphemous to some people, but in a UCC church, um, the the pastor and I absolutely loved this. Um, she said that the Ten Commandments are more like a guideline to live a simpler, happier life. And I loved that because it's so true. Like if you follow them, hmm. you have so you have so much less drama in your life. And I know that's blasphemous for people that believe you're gonna, you know, burn in hell for not obeying the Ten Commandments, but but you know, that's the first time that like because like Kelsey, I, I don't see God as a big, you know, fearful thing that's gonna strike me down. Um Right. So that that made sense to me, and I, I respect that. Whether God created him with his finger or not, I think he was trying <laughs> to give us a guideline. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's uh, yeah, that's a fair point too. We can look at uh, some of the root principles behind uh, some Old Testament teachings or the Ten Commandments, and realize, oh yeah, if I don't covet or desire whatever my neighbor has, if I'm not always comparing myself with the Joneses, then I'll probably be more content. More happy, if I value my relationships, if I, you know, use my word carefully, if I respect my parents, yeah, all those things are are definitely um, definitely helpful. Indeed. Well, we have five minutes left, friends. Uh, I think we're getting close to announcing our free beer winner for April. Any any last uh, comments on our prior topics of? Fun or church as a safe space or God being like Jesus? I'm good. You're good. All right. I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, our free uh, beer winner for April, drum roll, was, is uh, Will Kitchen for his comment on Facebook uh, in regards to, I think, our episode you were on, Kelsey. He said, Jesus was the original zombie. So when he returns, it will be the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, because it was Kelsey who said that when, when we had that list, he's like, why isn't the zombie apocalypse on there? Exactly, exactly. So congrats to Will. We'll uh, get you a $25 gift certificate to Craft Beer Cellar where you can pick up some tasty local craft beers. And friends... Uh, who are tuning in now um, or who are listening later to the podcast, you can jump in on this conversation or prior episodes and use the hashtag PTLive or comment on Facebook, and we'll put you in the running to win free beer at the end of uh, this upcoming month uh, of May, and we'll announce the winner in June. Because I'm going to say Nancy's second comment, I'm voting for that one so far. I don't remember what it was. I just remember in my head thinking she's in the running. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Yeah, absolutely. About uh, the joy of watching her kids parent their kids. And yes. Realizing <laughs> he had parenting skills. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Being com complimented on skills she didn't know she had. That was, <laughs> that was well said. That was well said. We're all just flying by the seat of our pants when we parent. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, Kelsey Roth, thank you for joining us from Craft Beer Cellar. Keep up the good work, and delightful to have you on the show, as always. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And Tina, thanks for joining us. And friends, thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. Please uh, connect and spread the word about Pup Theology Live on social media. You can listen anytime on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you want to find a Pup Theology near you or find resources for starting your own group, please visit pubtheology.com. And thanks again to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Visit craftbeerseller.com for a location near you. And we are out.